Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on uh, my podcast via Zoom, coming in from Colorado, is my friend Andrea Forsyth. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to have Andrea on the podcast. We spoke a couple weeks ago, and I just got to know more about Andrea. Um, her life story, and especially her sensitivity and desire to improve the lives of marginalized groups of people, and to see them, and what we can, how we can put kind of the gospel into action to lift their burdens and proactively do things that change their life situation. And so, this will be a podcast that I will probably learn something from. I, I hope and pray that you, our listeners, learn something from, and we can just. Um, come together as the body of Christ to help see and lift each other. Is that okay for an introduction, Andrea? That's great. Yeah. Um, Andrea is a married mother of three um, and has spent a, a lifetime really doing wonderful things, a performer in New York. Why don't will you talk about your time in New York and what you did in New York, Andrea? Sure. Um, I was 19 and I... I actually performed on the Disney Cruise Line first um, as the uh, five foot ten Little Mermaid. That's so cool. <laughs> Not so Little Mermaid. Um, and then I went to New York and I was in a show there um, off, 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 off Broadway. That's that's a joke that, that I love my, it. My husband and I like to talk about. Um, and. Um, actually this regional, uh, regional show there. And it was really fun. It was actually a great experience. And I did a lot of auditioning. And then I realized that I wanted to get an education. So I went back to BYU and I studied theater education and I became a secondary theater, theater teacher for high schoolers and middle schoolers. So, and I loved that too. And then I continued performing out here in Colorado once, um, I uh, got my degree and we moved out here. That's very cool. And tell our listener where you're working now and what type of work you're doing now. So I'm at CU Anschutz, um, University of Colorado and Anschutz Medical Campus. And I'm just a part of their communications team. And, um, and I'm hoping to go more into the diversity equity portion of um, the school and of society. And this is kind of just my um, first step because I've been a, a, a theater teacher um, via a stay-at-home mom. So, so now I, I'm feeling called to other things in my life. Um, that's really cool. And I love you. I'm, we'll link to your Facebook profile and your Instagram profile and our, in the show notes, but I love some of the things you put in your, I'm evolving in real time. That's pretty honest. LDS, building bridges, soft heart, owning stories, ally. So that for our listeners gives you an idea, plus the things Andrea said a little bit about her. Um, talk about um, just what's to share with our listeners what's in your heart and what you're trying to do and what's important to you and just kind of start sharing things. Just start. <laughs> okay. Where to start? So I think it's important for my listeners to understand that I, I grew up in the church um, with a beautiful 
Mormon family, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And my dad held many prominent callings and, um, and I was just an amazing Mormon girl my whole life. And I was a real people pleaser and a real perfectionist. And I made sure to cross all my T's and dot all my I's. And I, and then I was a mom and suddenly I couldn't cross all those T's and dot all those I's. I um, stayed at home when I had my first child. I was, I loved to work. Working is kind of my lifeline to happiness. And I quit my job because I didn't know that there was another option. And I know that sounds crazy for a 20, what was that, a 25-year-old. Um, but the women around me and my closest circles all seemed to just love being a stay-at-home mom. And um, even though I didn't really have a desire so much to uh, do that, I thought it would just just come naturally as soon as I had a child. Um, and I'm still waiting for that feeling to come 10 years later. <laughs> so, so needless to say, it's been a uphill battle. I am obsessed with my children. I love them so much. And I don't want to stay home with them. And I realize that I have unique gifts and a unique purpose on this earth in addition to being a mother. And I have gone through much, much um, shame and guilt and beating myself up over this because where I come from, women with aspirations, um, it, it, it is, there is some stigma to that. I know, I know that sounds weird. Um, that a woman should want to just stay home. Um, and I, I don't want to do that. So I've just embraced it. And um, it, there's been some really hard conversations in my life. And but really what should have happened, and you know, there's no should have because we learn as we grow. But my husband wants, has always wanted to stay home and I've always wanted to work. And I'm not sure why we didn't figure that out at the beginning. I'm not sure why we didn't think that would be a, a feasible thing for us. But I got a degree that I loved. I mean, I loved to teach, but I wonder what I would have gotten had I thought I was going to be the breadwinner. Um, because, uh, because I think that, that my husband and I could have really enjoyed our roles had we reversed. I we, we laugh about times when my kids were young and I would see my husband go off to work and cry, wishing I was him. And he would leave crying because he wishes he wished he was me um, because his heart has always been at home. Um, and my heart has always been um, in working. So, so anyway, I back to me being a stay at home mom. I was a square peg at a round hole for 10 years, which I'm super impressed now that I actually did it for 10 years. <laughs> um, and about seven years into it, I, I had a mental breakdown or a break open, as one of my friends says. 
Um, because when you're a square peg in a round hole for too long, as many of us know, it, um, it, the things start cracking and things start falling apart. So I, I have always struggled with mental illness, but I was a good Mormon person and, and Mormon people don't have mental illness that is visible. And obviously I say that jokingly and, um, but I, I thought that that was the case. So I would do things to cover it up and I would slap a smile on and I would uh, do all of my people pleasing and my hustling for worth. And, and, and I would ignore all of these, <laughs> these, these dragons inside of me. And I would, um, and I would just people please them out of me is I guess what, what my remedy was or working, um, do it, my checklist, my checklist is kind of my, my medicine for the pain that I was feeling. Um, and so, so that all of that, all of the, that kind of medication wasn't working, that kind of, um, self-medication of working hard and people pleasing and perfectionism. And so I broke open and my pieces were everywhere and my testimony was everywhere and my um, relationship with God were, you know, the pieces of that were scattered everywhere. And my relationship with myself was scattered everywhere. I'm sorry. You're doing great. And so slowly, slowly I had to figure out what pieces were legit to me. And I started meditating and I started just really giving myself freedom to say no to whatever was not real for me anymore. And to say yes to the things that just have always resonated with my soul. And I, through meditation, I mean, there was a time when I stopped believing in God because the God that I knew was the God that was pointing his finger at me and shaking it at me and saying, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing better and you're not good enough. And so that God died and a new beautiful God emerged that was just love, the God of love. And a God of softness. And, and that God is both female and male. There's, it, it just feels, that feels, the, fe the feminine in, in me was really, have, has been neglected. The feminine spiritual part of me, I, I, I didn't even realize needed, or it was so broken. And so I've healed that. And now my heavenly parents are just simply love inside of me. And from that little tender place, because when you have mental illness um, and you admit to it and you go get help for it, um, you no longer can put on the appearance of anything really special anymore. And so I... 
it just was that center of love and tenderness that, that helped me heal and helped me find hope. I went to some therapy, I went to lots of therapy and I got, I um, started taking medication that has helped a lot. And that path for medication is awful to, to try different medications and for them not to work. And then when you deal with ADD and anxiety and depression, um, to have to go back there, have to make your appointments and follow through with the appointments. And then if the medication doesn't work, then you, you know, have to go back to the appointment. So it's, it's a very lonely process and it's a very, um, it was a very dark time in my life. I actually kept all of this from my husband because, um, because of the shame that I, again, I, I didn't want anybody to know about all of this, especially just the people that I wanted, you know, that I was afraid that it would affect their relationship with me or, so I basically kept it secret from everybody. And so I just kind of suffered alone. I mean, my friends could obviously see, I mean, I have some close friends that I told, um, but very reluctantly, I remember me saying it for the first time. And I just couldn't believe that I said all of those things for the first time. And I kind of wanted to sweep it back up and put it inside um, and then put that little pretty bow on it again. But, but I needed help. Um, and it was such a lonely process and such a humbling and um, a just awful process. And I remember thinking while I was going through that process, and I remember promising to myself that when and if I saw anybody with this kind of pain or any other kind of pain, worse or, you know, less, I mean, the pain is pain and we all experience it. And if I saw it in other, other people's eyes, I would try to do everything in my power to help it so that their pathway would be easier. And so I, that's what I've been doing. During my fall, my, my break open, um, lots of my issues with God, I felt stemmed from the idea that the, the, the fact that I knew deep down at church that my voice as a woman was not valued. I looked around the scriptures. I looked around general conference. And it was perplexing to me why women's stories weren't valued like men's stories. And I inter- I've internalized that. And I've internalized that throughout my whole life. And I didn't realize that. And I looked around at the pictures on the walls and they were all men. And I listened to all the talks at church and we were all quoting men. And I was in the... Um, primary presidency at the time and we would spend hours praying about who our teachers would be and submit them to the bishop and then they would just call different people (laughs) um and that that again just kind of um affirmed that feeling that somehow I was valued less in the church. 
And, you know, growing up, you can't sometimes distinguish the church and God. You know, you learn God through church. And so I think that's why my, the God that I had growing up was that one that I always had to earn my worth with because I never felt innately that I was worthy. Um, I always felt that I had to do a lot of hustling for that word. And I, that's why I am very vocal about the need for our church to, um, to elevate women's voices and women need to be at the decision-making tables of the church and women need to be telling their stories and we need to be reading women's stories and women need to be talking about their own unique stories at the pulpit, at general conference. Um, and so I've been very vocal about that because again, that is, that's the pain that I'm seeing in women's eyes at church and in these young girls' eyes. Um, I see the same people pleasing and the same hustling for worth because um, because we're, we we don't have that 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 value um, in the very place that we learn about God and so yeah so that that's my um, for for women that's the kind that's the hurt that i've seen that i have been very vocal about and that stems from my own pain and my sister is gay and she came out um maybe 10 years ago 15 years ago and i um have walked with her through the path of being a an active LDS person um, to having to choose between being an active uh, member of the church and choosing to have um, to live a life with someone she loves. And so, of course, like 80% of our LGBTQ plus members, Lee, she left the church and she, now she's married to the most beautiful woman and they have two gorgeous children. And my um, very conservative parents and some of my family members, we all we all threw her a wedding shower at, right in the heart of Utah County and invited all of the ward members. Cool. And they all came because we all love my sister. And um, and so in my family, we've had to do a lot of um, there. It's been a learning curve. And it's been beautiful. Um, she has kind of been the catalyst for a lot of um, a lot of transformations of our hearts. Um, and so that, and so I, for a long time, I have been seeing the pain of my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And like lots of us LDS people, we don't. We don't feel like we can say anything because we, because some of us feel um, that um, how we feel about the them contradicts what um, our doctrine is, 
and what the prophets have said. And um, so we keep quiet. And so I kept quiet for a long time. Um, and I had a lot of shame both ways. I felt shameful that I wasn't saying anything. And here's my like best friend, little sister, um, who was very hurt by the church. And then I saw other LGBTQ youth. I was a youth teacher for a while and I knew some gay youth and I didn't speak up. I, you know, wore a rainbow pin every week to church, hoping that that would send the message, but I'm not sure it sent the message that I was a safe place for them and that they didn't have to, they didn't have to feel less than, and that they were made exactly the way they should have been made. And then I wasn't vocal when I should have been vocal. So now I am vocal and I say exactly what I um, feel. And I, um, I don't, um, I, at one time I thought if we love them enough, then that will be good enough. And I'm realizing that it's for me that it's not good enough. We can love them till we're blue in the face, but until we back that up with actions in our church, where we say, where we can say my sister and her wife and their beautiful children can have the same blessings and the same experiences in the temple as me and my husband and my beautiful children. Um, when we exclude people from our beautiful blessings, that tells them that they, um, that gives them um, feelings of inadequacy or um, it, it, it can create in LGBTQ youth a lot of um, inner turmoil. Um, equality, inequality hurts the souls of humans. Um, when I felt that I was not valued like men in the church, it wasn't just the fact that I wanted power and I wanted to be a bishop. It was my very, it was the fiber of my soul that was being, that was being hurt. That, that basically the place where I was supposed to learn about this loving God was the place that was telling me that I was always going to come second and that my experiences weren't important enough to share with anybody. And that's the same with our LGBTQ plus numbers. That it's not about, it's not about them, um, you know, wanting more. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what the counter argument is, but it is the very fact that we need the people sitting next to us in the pew to understand that they are loved and cherished by this loving God, the same as anybody else. And then I've also seen a lot of pain in the members of um, the church um, who are Black or indigenous, or um, any member of color. I've seen a lot of pain. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of my friends are leaving the church because they are not finding a safe place with us. 
And I, and again, it's that I see the pain in their eyes and I can't look away. And we have a very, um, we have a very sordid past and we have to reconcile that past. Um, and it's not about, you know, dwelling in the past. It's about apologizing and saying, we are sorry that we made you feel less than in God's eyes. We want you a part of us and we're going to do everything we can to make you feel welcome and safe. And we're going to sit and listen to how we are not making you feel safe and welcome. And I just don't see that we're doing that right now. And I would love to see that, that we are willing to start doing this and having these hard conversations because these are all hard conversations. But I believe that the core of our church is love. Plain and simple. It's the glue that holds us all together. It's the body of Christ. It's the thing that Jesus came to this earth to proclaim and to, he, he came to un, undo the old ways of the laws and the, um, and the orthodoxy. He came to say it's about love and it's always been about love. And it's about humans and it's always been about humans. And so our organization, we have to walk the walk and talk the talk. That if we truly feel that we are about humans, there are going to be some hard changes that, that we have to make. So that's my very long thing that's on my heart. <laughs> I have a lot of things on my heart. <laughs> that was just a beautiful segment. Um, I just felt impressions not to say anything. <laughs> um, and impression came to my mind. There's a lot of listeners going, um, there's somebody like me that feels the same way I do. Um, and that they're really alone and they've never heard anybody talk the way you've talked. And it's really healing to a lot of people right now that are part of marginalized groups to have somebody like you be so open and honest with your own journey. Why? There's a lot of questions that come to mind. Why are you so honest with your own mental breakdown? That's really, you just told that to like 10,000 people. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, because I, I, I promised myself because I felt so alone. I couldn't even say the words. I couldn't say the words to anybody. And that meant that I, my mental illness had been hurting people, people close to me. I've been hurting people for a long time. All because I felt the stigma that I couldn't say it out loud. And I couldn't be this broken person because we're not supposed to be broken. But I'm realizing now that brokenness is where all my spirituality comes from. Wow. And I believe that that's a part of following Christ. I feel like he descended below all things and resurrects. And that's, that's my path is to continue to, to, um, to die and resurrect spiritually. And how I do that is I have to be, I have to just be 100% honest because there are other people who are dying right now, feeling like dying is a bad thing. And I'm here to say that, yes, it sucks dying like spiritually and 
having mental breakdowns and being an addict and um, being an abuser and being a code of, you know, be living in codependency, all of those things suck and they hurt and it's so painful. And it'll be the very gateway for tenderness and love. If you'll allow it. And a part of that for me has been just pure honesty. That I, I pretended and lied for so long about everything. And it doesn't do anybody any good. Most importantly, myself. It didn't do me any good. It, that's what caused the whole, the whole break open. So I would encourage any of you who are, who are descending below all things right now to understand that it's a very sacred thing that you're doing. Um, if you'll allow yourself to just accept and to surrender and you'll find so much strength in that surrendering, um, it's painful. Like, you know, I really like to be someone that everybody thinks is so cool and, um, put together and amazing. Like, like, I love that feeling. I love people. Um, I love the attention that that brings. So I ha I've had to give up that. Um, I've had to give up that, um, I don't know, that pedestal, like that people put you on pedestals and, um, and I've had to understand really where I, I to have a servant's heart in the end. And that's what, that's what has happened to me by descending below is that I understand now that, um, that I am a, that I walk with the people that have descended with me. Um, that's my, that's my calling now. Um, I'm just so touched. Not only in your story, but your vocabulary to put together your story. It's one of your gifts, Andrea, hustling for worth. <laughs> you have some great phrases in here, but this idea that you being transparent with what's really going on in life for you is your path to healing and now your path to help others. And just being vulnerable is healing and your deepest spiritual experiences are in vulnerability in this brokenness is certainly something that that resonates with me and I've been on a little bit of a similar journey. So it very much resonates with me. Um, talk about um, with all what I would call church generated pain that's come into your life. Um, I don't know if you added up the, all the pain you felt in your life and what percent comes from the church. Um, why do you stay in the church? It's a really good question. So in my dissension, I understand that now I'm in the business of humans. I'm no longer in the business of institutions. I'm no longer in the business of um, looking the part or um, being the coolest, most popular. I, I, that's not my business anymore. My business is humans. And in such, there is an amazing group of humans that I get to associate with that love me and I love them and that believe completely differently than I do, most of them, and I them, 
and I get to sit in sacrament meeting and I get to listen to their testimonies and I get to have a sense of wonder about that. And I get to look at them and say, oh, that person brought me casserole when I was pregnant on a day that I just could not make dinner for my family. And the next person that comes up, that person teaches my children and brings them treats to my house when my kids don't show up. And I get to love that human. I get to serve that human. And then me, sorry, I'm very emotional today. I don't think I've ever heard anybody cry on a podcast. So, <laughs> well, that happens on this one. So you're in good company, oh, okay, but good. you're being very courageous. And okay, and so there's no better place for me to practice how to be like Christ. If I left the church, I could go find a group of people that were my echo chamber that believe all the same things that I can, that I believe. And I'm sure I could find, you know, beautiful groups out there. I mean, there's so many beautiful groups out there to join. And I, I totally respect those people who go out and join any, you know, who leave the church. Um, I truly believe that our spirituality is such a unique path and, um, and we're all called to different paths. Not all of us are, are, you know, are called to be in the church. And, um, but for me spiritually, I have found that there is no better place for me spiritually than to have to not judge people and to um, give them the same respect and same understanding about their spiritual journey as I expect from them on my spiritual journey. So that when they bear their testimony, I believe them. And I think to myself, what if, because I have, I don't really have great faith. Um, and, and listening to other people's testimony makes me have a sense of wonder again. Um, and it makes it so that I don't, I, I, I found that when I know things, my heart tunes off. But when I live in a sense of wonder and um, curiosity, my heart is like a river that just keeps flowing. Wow. And so it's a beautiful thing for me to be a part of this community to, to learn to open my heart and to, to get to love and serve people. Um, because I, that's to me is the essence of the gospel. Um, so, so my fellow Latter-day Saint, um, members are as good a group as any other group <laughs> to learn how to be like Christ. And, um, and not to mention they're my people. Like I can't leave my people. Um, like even if I left the church, they, they're my people, you know, like I feel a, a strong stewardship and all the people that I've been placed in their lives. And what, what I love about the gospel too, is that I get to minister to women who are 90 years old and I get to minister to women who are 25 new moms, 25 years old who are just new moms. And I get to listen to their stories and learn from them. And, and for me, I, I, if I left the church, I don't know if I would find, I, I don't know if I'd put myself in those kind of groups. I think I would put myself in a group of people who are exactly like me, who think exactly like me and um, that don't challenge me because that's what I do normally. 
So it's, it's a, it's a really beautiful place to be for me. Now for my children, it's another story. Um, because I have healed. I mean, I've, I've gone through a lot of therapy to actually undo the spiritual abuse that I have felt by belonging to the church. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if, if I'm responsible, if, if I would be a responsible parent and um, exposing my kids. My husband and I are still in process of that and my kids are still pretty young. Um, so every week, it's, you know, we, we say, is this good or bad? <laughs> and, um, and I think, I mean, right now it's, you know, it's different because of COVID, but it's just really hard to also deny when their teachers come to their door, to our door and have little treats and give them hugs and tell them that they love them. You know, that's hard to because again, it's just humans that my, my kids can love and that can love them. But there's also some very hurtful things that happen to, um, um, to the vulnerable people in our, in our congregation that, um, that terrifies me and my husband, if I'm honest. You're good at being honest. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a you're great. That's a, you're in a great spot. I I love that, and I recognize spiritual abuse may not be a term that all of our listeners are familiar with. Do you wanted to, you just briefly mentioned that. Will you define that for our listeners? Yeah, it was. Um, I was at a therapist once, um, and she she was helping me with um, some trauma. And if anybody gets a chance to do EMDR, it's a really great resource for trauma therapy. Anyway. Um, and some therapists specialize in that. She gave me a, she had this handout um, and it said spiritual abuse and it, it, and it went through all, um, it just, it listed all of the things that qualify for spiritual abuse. And it's basically um, what, what religions or parents or any people of authority can, um, the, the manipulation that can happen the, um, the, um, I don't know if anybody Googles it right now, you could find a list. <laughs> I can't remember the list. I just went down the list and said, yep, 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 yep. On all of them. And that may be because of my personality. Um, I, again, tend to want to people please. So I am going to check off all the boxes of what is, looks the part. Um, there, I know there are people who grew up and who don't feel that they, um, experience spiritual, uh, abuse, which I totally respect as well. Um, but for those of you who do feel that, um, there's help out there for that and there's lots of healing that can be done. Um, and you can come out on the other side of it. Um, yeah. Um, I've learned a little bit about that space and love your answer, Andrea, and just have learned that if someone hasn't felt spiritual abuse, like you've said, that let's don't, if you're one of those people, let's don't dismiss somebody else who feels that way and is having a different experience. And let's, you don't need this advice, Andrea. This is me talking to listeners. Let's don't have them, you know, make them prove their pain or their feelings of spiritual abuse or the reality of their experience because that just, to me, re-traumatizes them. And no one should have to prove their pain or, 
prove their trauma. We just should accept that at face value. That to me is a step to healing um, and a step to helping them move forward. So I have felt some spiritual abuse, not to your extent. Um, Someday I may talk about that a little more openly as you're teaching me to do. Um, And it's given me just maybe a little bit what you have too, is just recognizing and being more attuned to the pain in other people's lives because I felt some of that in my own life. Um, That's probably part of my connection to LGBTQ people is just feeding some of that marginalization, even though I'm in an extremely high point of privilege within the church. Um, So that's a really honest segment. And um, it certainly builds more empathy for people that feel their path is to step away from the church because it may not be doctrine related. It may just be They've had really difficult, traumatizing experiences, and they may find, and this is hard, was would be hard for me to believe a few years ago, they just might find more emotional help um, outside of the church, um, and they may be able to return at some point, or they may not. And we just, what I do as a committed Latter-day Saint is probably what you do, is just leave it at the Savior's feet, and my job is to love, which is what you're sharing in this podcast also. And not pass judgment, not worry about someone standing with God or their eternal place, but just love them. Because that, I think you talked about the balm, that is the healing balm. That's the gift that I can extend to everybody. That's part of my commit, my, my baptism covenants. Um, are you okay with that, what I just said? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Also, I would add, I know that for those of you who have left the church or considering leaving the church, I know that me staying in the church can. Um, uh, trigger you um, and understand that each of our paths, I, I truly believe this, that God wants us wherever we feel called. And there is not one place for all of us to be. And so by me staying in no means, it is, it, am I telling anybody else that this is a superior choice? Um, it is just where I feel called. And, um, and it feels true to me. So whatever feels true to you, I, I think is very important for you to listen to and have confidence in. And for those of us who are in the church, understand that the same God that is, is telling you and, feel, and helping you feel that the church is true and this is where you're supposed to be, is that same God that, could, that is um, perhaps telling the other people around you that are leaving the same thing. And we believe in um, free agency and we believe in personal revelation and in believing in those things, we have to believe other people. We have to believe that they know what's best for them and that we, and that we can, we can honor their paths and be happy for them in their paths. There, there doesn't need to be this weird um, thing that happens when people leave the church and and weird is is a um, a kind way to say it. I, I I think the way that we we have that people leave our church is um, is violent. If I'm totally honest, um, because here they give their whole lives to the church. Most of them serve missions, um, have basically given up everything for the church in their life, and have dedicated so much, so many hours of service and love. And then when they leave. It, it it's like crickets. Um, we 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 abandon them 
And I know that we say, well, they abandoned us, but that's not when, when we are followers of Christ, that's not, that's not our, our admonition. He, that's not how, what our admonition has been is that we, we make room for the one we make room. Then the 99 are fine. The one is where we make room for them. And whether they stay in the church or not, that's, that's not none of our business, but we make room for them in our hearts and we make room for them in our, our, our church family, however they want to be made room for. That didn't make sense, but that's, I I, um, this thought occurred to me and, and I had a friend leave our ward and we had a going away party for her. And it um, going away as in the church going away. And we invited the um, the Relief Society president and some other people in other auxiliaries and other, I mean, of course, most of these people were pretty um, progressive thinkers. (laughs) Um, So I knew the people to invite. Um, But I will tell you, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. and we all sat around the circle and we said, we love you and we totally respect you and know that this is exactly where you're supposed to be right now, wherever you choose to go. And then we said, how can we, as your ward family, include you or not include you? Or how do you want us to fit into your life? And she told us. Wow. And so we took down the notes and, um, and she will always be our friend. And I think that if we could do more of that in the church, I think we would be living more according to um, what, what was originally designed for, for the gospel. Um, It's neither here nor there, what people choose for their lives. Um, It's our responsibility to just make room for them and for us to see them wherever they are. That's one of the coolest things anybody's ever said on this podcast. I just, what a beautiful experience for a group of Heavenly Father's children to come together and and find common ground in somebody separating themselves from the church. And that discussion that we've never, we never have when someone leaves, how can, what sort of a boundary discussion, what would you like us to do and not to do? Um, in the spirit of keeping this relationship together. I home taught a guy for 20 years that was inactive in our ward, and I never asked him why he left or how he could help him or what was really going on. He just kind of went through the motions, but we never talked like I would now and like you did. And it would have been such a different relationship if I'd been able to do that. Um, that's pretty I think cool. That's really important. The boundaries. I think that we are, our boundaries can be a little bit um, sloshy <laughs> in our church. Um, that somehow we feel that we're entitled. I don't know what it is, but the boundaries is a really important thing that um, people that we don't have to. I, and I think one of the boundaries is that we don't have to completely. Um, leave them out of our lives if they leave the church and we can figure out how to talk to them to where we respect their privacy and we respect what they want, but also just reach out a hand of just like human love and human respect and human kindness and friendship. I mean, a lot, I, I wrote a post the other day about 
I just said thank you to anybody who's left the church who um, taught me in young women's and who was our bishop and gave up all of those hours and and sacrificed so many hours and um, and taught our children pre- uh, primary and served full time missions and held my baby when I had to teach a lesson. And I, I just said, I'm sorry that if we hurt you as a church, but thank you for the love because there's so many people that have left the church that like loved us and we love them and they loved our children and we loved their children. And, um, and I think, I mean, it's even sad that I'm saying that in past tense, like I, I, I just, it, if we are the body of Christ, there's, there's nothing that can get in the way of me loving their children and their, them loving my children still, even if they leave the church. Yeah, I love you using body of the Christ there because sometimes we think of that as just um, people that are actively attending church. But I think the body of Christ, you took us to kind of the 30,000 foot level. It's all of Heavenly Father's children. And I have to think of our Heavenly Parents up there watching this meeting of somebody separating from the church. And as as a father, I want my children to get along in their differences <laughs> and not find things that divide them. And so I have to think that that meeting, um, I can't obviously know that for sure, but I just would think that our heavenly parents were so happy with that kind of a meeting and um, implementing in real life, not just sort of the doctrine of love. I mean, that is a commandment that you are, since sort of just paying lip service to, you are kind of thinking outside the dots of how to implement that in a situation where love is what's going to keep that family, that friendship circle together and keep the communication lines open. And the thing that I think Heavenly Parents would want us to do in that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, me too. I think, I mean, and I get it because some of the people that I invited were worried that she would, you know, talk negatively about, negatively about the church and it would be a, um, you know, a gripe session. So I, there, I get that there's, there's, there's definitely fear there, right? And, and I think we've kind of exacerbated that fear, thinking that somehow if they tell us how they were hurt by the church, that'll affect our own testimony. But in my opinion, if, if we have a true testimony of what the gospel is, which is love, then we can hold space for any sort of hurt that anybody has. And that their hurt about the church doesn't need to affect our own relationship with the gospel or the church. We are just there to give them space and, um, and them us. I mean, I, we have to figure out how to have these conversations. We have to figure out how we can talk respectfully and also give each other space to be where, where, where each of us are. And I've had to learn the, I've had to learn a lot of lessons the opposite way, because when I was going through my really hard time in the church, I had a lot of anger. Um, for the church. And I had, um, I worked through a lot of um, cynicism. Um, And that was a really important thing for me to feel. It was important for me to feel angry for a long time. And I remember when I would, it was angry, I would, um, I almost would respect anybody's opinion, except for anybody in the church who was like a full believing member of the church. Right. And, 
and I, and I was so judgmental for those people who were in the church 100%, um, thinking, you know, very cynically about everything. And, um, and then the, 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 then something, oh, I remember talking to someone and she's scoffing at what I, cause I, I told her a very intimate belief of mine and she scoffed at it. And I like something clicked in me and I'm like, that is what I have been doing wow. to all of these people. And who am I again to judge them and their path when I want that, I want them not to judge me and my path. And so how can I listen to them with real ears, with real wonder and with real respect, knowing that they believe just strong, as strong as I do about certain things and that I can, I can hold space for them too. Um, that I can believe them when they have a testimony of certain things that I don't have a testimony of. I can believe that God has spoken to them in a different way than, he's, than, than God has spoken to me. Um, and that is a part of, I think, something where as we mature as a church, I'm hoping we can get because um, I, I feel like our church is going to evolve just like any other organization, just like any other human being, any living thing on this earth is that's what we're here for is to evolve. And through that evolution, we are going to have to learn how to have hard conversations with respect on both sides and still talking about real things. Yeah, I think of you and what you're teaching here, and I think of um, Janice Spangler's talking about stages of faith in an earlier episode, and and just yeah, not ranking them in the sense one's better than the others, but just the stages of faith. And one you described is where you create space for other people. You're not trying to pull everybody where you are but you're honoring where they are as, as you're asking them to honor where you are. It, and it, it's kind of a post-anger, post-cynicism state that, that some people will go through as sort of a natural evolution of, of feeling pain and feeling let down at times. So that's really a great example of that. Talk about, there's so many, we're coming, we're not to the end yet, but we're getting closer. Talk about if I'm a local male leader and I'm kind of aware that I might do or say something that causes women to feel um, their voices aren't valued um, at the stake or local level. What any, any suggestions for local leaders? You know, that's a really, that's a really hard question because um, just like systematic racism, systematic sexism happens in our church, meaning that it's not necessarily the what people do and don't say at church. It is the system that that made us. So, for instance, it's not what a bishop can say, but the fact that the bishop is the last say um, for everything, um, and it's always a man um, yeah. to be the last say. That's the system's problem, right? Um, it's a good point. It, it, yeah. It, so it's so yes, you can be sensitive. Like for instance, in a ward council, it is usually the man that makes the last decision. You know, the bishop is the executive decision. But I, I would, um, I would maybe suggest that um, 
that women that women have some sort of I don't even know that that they because I know that they're more um they're more represented in an equal way on the on the ward level the women but again in the end it's always a man that makes the final decision so I wonder if there's a way that that a woman could make the final decision for something cool um yeah and um and whereas like on the uh, on the more broad level there hardly are any women representation at the top um we do a decent job i think in the ward level in terms of representation but in terms of the power um i think that's where the the, the system comes into play that it doesn't really matter what a bishop says um, but knowing that he is the final power the final say that there's a power imbalance automatically um, that's in, that's um, implicit there just in the relationship itself. That's helpful um, for me. Just there's, so if I'm a bishop, there's, and, and you're helping me understand, there's a lot of just systematic institutional things that are sort of happening that, you know, just I as a local leader can't deal with, but, I, but maybe my role there is to be extra sensitive um, and just aware of that and doing everything I can within my control to not, to sort of mitigate that or, or do things to bring voices of women forward. Yeah. And so for instance, when a um, young woman president um, feels very strongly about her two counselors or, um, or who to call um, like a primary president, who to call in the primary to be teachers, that they're the last say for their own organization, right? That there's no, that, that nobody's trumping her yeah. um, or, or let's don't even go with the charade and just choose the people. <laughs> like don't don't tell the women that they they have the power and then override their power because again that, that it just it it's just more busy work for us. It, it's not it's not actually giving us any power. Um, I think being aware of it is huge. Like for instance, even just saying out loud that the system is that me as a bishop, I'm going to make the last decision, understanding that that a woman never makes the last decision in this, in, in this church. And that's disappointing. And I hope one day that, 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 that can change. Um, because to be honest, there's, you know, there's just so many things in the system. Um, one thing is to um, quote lots of women <laughs> that's a as a man, that would be super powerful is, is if, um, and, and it's really hard to find those quotes. Um, I have given resources on my, um, on my Facebook page, um, for for men to just quote women and to talk about women's experiences and to um, and to elevate women's stories in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon, it's a little harder. Right. <laughs> but um, so that so that we understand that women's experiences are are equally as valuable. Um, we are fifty percent of the population, you know. So. Um, so in order for us to, to resonate with things, we have to, we have to feel it in our, we have to see our stories being told. Um, other things um, is, is to have uh, diversity and equity training inside of your ward. Um, and as you talk about anti-racism or how you can um, help our, our uh, members of color feel more welcome. It's the same conversation to help our women feel um, 
like they are welcome and safe. And for LGBTQ, it's systematically, we're working with all of the same things that um, are making one population um, feel less than another population. And so I think it would be go a long ways to have Bishop, uh, some leadership training or even training as, as the fifth Sunday um, to talk about these issues. Um, because whether we talk about them or not, they're there, right? And I know they're super uncomfortable, but they're there. And um, my kids and all the kids in this next generation, and especially the, their, their, my grandkids, um, inequality, they'll just leave our church. <laughs> like they, they, they have no room in their lives for inequality at all. Um, you know, right now our kids are hanging out with transgender kids and they don't, they don't blink an eye at it. Like it's not even, it's not even a thing. Um, and you know, women can run for the president of the United States. And yet in our church, we don't even know if we can give a blessing to our child that's sick. Um, so the, the discrepancies there are going to be very apparent to the next generation. And I'm afraid they're not even going to stick around to even have conversations about it. Um, so we better start. I'm with you on that. Those are really good suggestions. and. Um, I'm no expert in this space, but I did, I think it may have been, somebody gave me some training as a YSA bishop and ward councils. And, and I, it wasn't my idea, but I started to ask the women for input on organizations outside of their organization. So we'd be talking about an elders quorum question. Um, and typically all the women would you know, just not listen because they would never be asked. And we, and I started to ask the women for input on an elders quorum issue as we were sitting in word council and that, and that resonated with me. It wasn't my idea. It, I'm not sure whose idea it was, but it was just something along your lines that um, sent a message about everybody's voice is important. Um, and often the women, I'm not just saying this because you're here, would have insights that were particularly helpful to an elders quorum issue. And it's part of this counseling together concept that I think is helpful in the church. But to do that, we have to hear everybody's voices, including those that perhaps aren't at ward council or aren't even participating at church. That to me is part of counseling together. It's, and we just need to get comfortable hearing, to your point, these harder conversations as we counsel together. The only other thing in a good category I remember doing is my very favorite talk to give to the YSAs is Sherry's do talk, um, um, sweet above all that is sweet about grace. And I had hard copies of that printed out. It was my very favorite talk to understand the atonement. And she vulnerably talks about some of her situations and how then how the atonement helped heal her. And I've just really looked up to Sherry do and, and the things that she teaches and so those just that just a couple ideas for you male leaders. Um, but I would encourage you, and I think Andrea too, is think creatively about this and what you can do and recognize that even if no one's ever told you this is an issue, including the women that are close to you, I think it's that you know, you have to assume it is an issue. Um, and you need to do we need to do everything we can because we are losing really good people that have fundamental sort of 
you know, testimonies of the restored gospel, but because of some of these social issues, um, step away. Talk. Yeah, I mean, um, go ahead. The fact is that I am putting my neck on uh, out here, right? Like at any moment, I I'm expecting to be excommunicated, or <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm putting myself really out there. Um, most people in the church are not willing to put themselves out there. So nobody is, so Bishop saying, oh, I, I, nobody's talking about this. Well, even for someone who already knows, I, I, you know, like <laughs> what I'm doing is, um, shaky ground. I have a hard time talking to my Bishop and stake president about this stuff. So understand that if women and, um, your members of color and your LGBTQ people are not talking to you about this stuff, it is because they are terrified that they will lose their social standing. They could lose a temple recommend. They could be excommunicated. I mean, some people feel that they could be excommunicated if they say that they they believe that our, we're not doing right by our LGBTQ people. Because, you know, in the temple uh, questions, there's a part asking about um, if you belong to a group that opposes the church. And many people associate that with, uh, you know, believing that um, gay marriage, um, like like thinking that gay marriage is fine and wanting gay marriage for our, our nation. Um, but, and so those are real fears. So I, I think a, a huge thing is just to be able to talk about things, but I understand the fear. I, I've, I've reconciled the fact that um, that I may have consequences and I already have had consequences. I've lost a lot of friends and um, I'm sure I'll lose some social standing once I go back to church. Um, I hope not. I hope we can, we can understand that humans were in the business of humans, but th there is consequences. So understand that if nobody's talked to you, if you're a leader, um, there's a reason um, there. It's, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, pressure to say what you really feel about things in the church. Thanks. I agree with that. And um, I recognize that because of my privilege, I can talk about things and, it, and the risk to me is different than somebody else with less privilege. And so it's real. And, and if I, and so I just validate what you feel. I think, I think listeners that, I mean, Andrew on Andrea, <laughs> sorry, I mispronounced your name, has kind of talked about our hopes for women to fully participate in, in a way they're not now. And I think you said you'd love to see your sister have the same temple privileges that you do. And when we hear stuff like that, listeners, I hope that we just, if, you know, I think I don't want people to feel excluded from the church if they have hopes that something in the church changes. Um, as long as they're not, as long as they're not sort of fooling Elder Christofferson sort of, I think, teaches a principle um, when he talks about if people aren't forming movements or actively campaigning for something to change. I think there's, I use the analogy in, or the example in my book about what would we do with members that hope one day they can drink tea and coffee? Um, that's one of their hopes, but they don't right now. But would we disclude them from temple privileges or call them unfaithful if they hope something changes? So that's a simple one, but there are active members of the church that hope that women get the priesthood one day. There are active members of the church that hope people in same-sex marriages have the same privileges that they have in straight marriages. And um, 
The way I answer that is, I don't know Heavenly Father's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, so I'm not in a position to answer those questions, but I would hope that we wouldn't make someone feel less faithful or less committed if they hold out hope that something changes. Um, it's an ongoing restoration. Um, President Nelson's been pretty clear on that. One of our article faiths talks about that. So I, I want to create space for people that have fundamental belief in our gospel and want to do things that help strengthen our church and bring us together, including those that have a harder road like Andrea's doing. And instead of making them feel bad for what they're doing is, you know, help them feel good for what they're doing and, and recognize that they are following what Christ taught is to go to the people that society is marginalized and help them feel included and use their privilege to do that. And especially those that are marginalized, we need everybody we can to help them feel that they're needed as part of the body of Christ. They're LGBTQ people, people of color, some of the other thing, people that have Andrea's worked out. So I hope when anybody listens to this podcast, it's Active LDS, it, instead of, you know, they just say, this is really helpful for me. And we need people like Andrea in the church that are brave enough to stay in the church and um, a church that's caused pain and trauma. It takes a lot of courage to lean back in that pain and trauma and say, I'm going to be part of an organization that's, that's, that's caused this in my life because I fundamentally believe in it and see the good and I'm willing to live in this nuance of seeing the good and, and feeling the pain. Um, but I want to be somebody here that's helpful. And I would hope that we just say, that takes a lot of courage. Let's do everything we can to have the, the Andrea's in our circle feel like, you know, they don't feel judged for the way they're serving and the way they're honoring their baptism covenants. Um, and for being so vulnerable like you are. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, I want to add into that. It's, it's my very Christianity that inspires me to be a voice for the, the minoritized groups in our, um, in our church. I believe from, from what I know about Christ's life, that was his mission. He, that he hung out with the minoritized groups and he stood up for them. And he was about the business of humans. And I guess I want to challenge your listeners to, to see these um, people that, I've that I, we've been talking about, our LGBTQ youth, our, our LGBTQ um, siblings, our brothers and sisters, and our members of color. And I want to, you to see them as human beings. Um, because, again, my Christianity informs my, my voice to be so loud. Because I, I see the humans and I see humans that are hurting. And for me, it's about humans. It's not about, um, it's not about the orthodoxy of it, and it's not about the um, all of our religious things that we hold tight to. And I know that's very controversial, and I know that that um, that sets me apart a bit. But I want to maybe just challenge, just challenge all of us a little bit to really ask yourself what your what Christianity compels you to do to go more towards fighting for a marginalized group or more towards um, um, standing up for 
um, religious, uh, I don't know, um, dogma or um, principles. I, and for me, and I, again, that's, that's very controversial, but for me, my Christianity has informed me that humans, I, I'm in the business of humans. Um, and that's what I gain from Christ's life. And everybody has their own thing that they gain. But because of that, I am the voice. Um, I want to be a voice and I want to stand by these humans that are hurting um, and that are, um, that are not finding us a very safe place right now. That's a, I'm with you on that. And I listened to the First Presidency Christmas devotional on my morning walk today. And um, when, uh, as President Nelson was talking about Christ and honoring Christ and following Christ, I, I just kept hearing action words come into my mind that I need to, to do that. It's about going out to groups that are marginalized and, and doing what you're doing and what you're inviting us to do. So to me, um, it's the fuel that, it's the doctrinal fuel, Andrea, that is for me to do and others to do what you're doing. Um, there's a doctrinal foundation in what I believe our leaders are inviting us to do, what Christ taught us to do, that you are doing and you're inviting others to do. There's a doctrinal foundation of that. And there's also the doctrine of love that we heal people when we love them. Um, and that's the heal elder Dorf has a, there's a quote in the end of my book that you just basically paraphrased earlier that love is the healing balm that, you know, that heals our divisiveness, that heals our wounds, that bring us together as the human family. And so I just, you know, you have my full support on who you are and what you're doing and the need for what you're doing. And, and, you may not like this for younger members of our church, men and women, or maybe everybody, but there's a younger group that is clearly in this world of what is my religion doing for marginalized people? Uh, it's not sort of not like what is my religion doing for me, but it's what my religion is doing for people that have a harder road. And that's the way they look at it. And it's true. they yeah. see gaps there. And so they wonder, um, but I think it helps um, younger members, um, and I know your mission isn't to just keep people in the church, but I think it does help younger people to hear your story and say, well, that helpful for me. There may be, you know, there may be a way for me to participate in the church. Um, and part of it for some is just fundamental restored doctrine that's so unique to our church that, you know, is part of their foundation, heavenly parents that love us, a premortal life, atonement of Jesus Christ to heal that are unique to our church that sometimes also give people um, sort of added, you know, added anchors per se to stay, um, even where there's things at the same time that are kind of fallen dominoes is the vocabulary I use, things they just aren't comfortable with. Mm -hmm. uh, we're kind of at the end. I'd love to give you anything else you'd like to say. You can take as long as you want. Yeah, so I just want to follow up. Um, we have a real problem with our LGBTQ youth having um, lots of emotional stress, and um, we have a problem with suicide amongst our LGBTQ youth. And I'm very, very concerned about this. Um, and and in fact, and I know this is this is very touchy for me to say, but I want to say it because there are LGBTQ youth still in our congregations, and um, 
I've, I've been looking around and I'm not sure that there are many, very many spaces as dangerous for our LGBTQ youth than, than um, our church and other conservative churches. Um, our, our very fundamental belief that, um, that they can't progress like we can progress is the very cause for many of them feeling hopeless enough to consider taking their own lives. And so uh, when we talk about how we just need to love them, it's like somebody drowning in a pool and for us to say, but I love you. I love you so much while the person is drowning. If, if, if we love them, we jump in the pool and we do everything we can to get them out of the pool. And that is my challenge for us. I'm just heartbroken. I'm heartbroken for those LGBTQ youth that feel that somehow they were born broken. I just, I just, it just really, really, really upsets me. And for those parents that don't know what to do and don't feel any support, if we love, if we love these people, we have to jump in the pool and see why they're drowning. They're, they're not drowning because they don't feel love from us. They're drowning because the system that they're in is telling them that their, their future is very limited. And, 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 and many of my LGBTQ friends want to stay in the church. And so leaving the church is as painful as staying in the church. I mean, it's not an easy decision for our LGBTQ youth, youth to leave or stay. We're asking them to give up a huge part of themselves either way. And it's just not, it's for me, if we are again in, this, in the business of humans, we don't look at a drowning human. When the statistics are out there that, that they are feeling hopeless and helpless um, in our church, we don't look at that and say, they need to be swimming better or they need to wear a different swimming suit or they need, no, we go in and help a drowning person. That's what we do as humans. And so I want to encourage all of us to see how you can go in and help our drowning LGBTQ youth and help our drowning um, members of color. Listen to why they're drowning. Listen to what, what, what it is that is making them go underwater and to jump in and help them get out of the water that's drowning them. How do people get a hold of you, Andrea? So you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and you can DM me anytime. I have lots of people DM me that, um, Good. that don't know where to find help. So I can give you resources um, of other people who believe that that can support you in whatever where, whatever space you're in. Um, I have a lot of um, different groups that that I know of that can help where, wherever you are in this process. Um, yeah, I know this is a for, for lots of things that we've talked about today. There are a lot of people feeling very lonely and very discouraged, and um, I've been there. And that's why I'm, I'm talking the way I'm talking.
because I, I, I don't want people to feel the way that I felt four years ago. Um, I love this whole podcast. I love what you concluded with and, and the love people we have to sort of get in the water and do the hard work to save them. And I also thought came to my mind, if we meet uh, somebody from a disadvantaged group that's not drowning, um, don't assume that that's true of everybody in that disadvantaged group. Sometimes we come across an LGBTQ person that's thriving in a church or a a black Latter-day Saint that's thriving, and and we celebrate that, but it, sometimes that keeps us emotionally safe to not realize that there's still a lot of people drowning. And lots of times those that are thriving recognize um, the people that are drowning and say, don't take my story and sort of make it everybody's story or point to me in the way to do it. You, they're sometimes the most sensitive to other people that are drowning because they know that feeling. Um, and I encourage people to connect with Andrea Forsyth, F-O-R-S-Y-T-H-E, on Facebook. We'll link, um, I'll tag this on Facebook and tag Andrea and tag her and Instagram in the, in the podcast description. And this is just a vulnerable podcast, listeners. I've been touched by Andrea. I've, um, you know, I think a lot of us are feeling we just found a new friend and somebody that um, we're really safe with to open up if we needed to. Um, and that's why I think you're getting a lot of DMs because you're social media anyway. And I just, on behalf of all our listeners, thanks for being open and vulnerable and honest. You're the wounded healer that we talk about a lot in these podcasts. The idea, it's a Henry Norwin quote that, you know, a true leader sort of can lead people out of the desert because he or she's been there. You've been in this desert and it's given you the tools because you know it firsthand to, to see people in other deserts and to help lead them out. But I think part of that is what you're brave enough to do is to be vulnerable about your own desert. And um, I think we need to learn to do that. And then we do like you do. We sometimes have our most spiritual experiences in those moments. So on behalf of our, all our listeners, um, thank you, Andrea Forsyth, and this, for being on the podcast and who you are. The world's a better place with you here. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.